Jesus has been on a journey to Jerusalem, right? He's been trying to make his way to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. Passover was a time that the Jewish people remembered when God saved them out of slavery in Egypt, if you remember that story. And that the final plague that came on the Egyptians was the firstborn of all their children would be taken. Their lives would be taken, except for any Jewish believer who put the blood of a lamb over their doorpost, then death would pass by their home and spare them. So Passover. And so every year, the Jewish people would celebrate with this feast of the Passover, where they would have unleavened bread because they didn't have time for the bread to cook and to rise. They had to be on the go. They had to be ready to run from their captors. And they would have a lamb, a pure spotless lamb as part of that meal. And this festival would take place in Jerusalem, like the epicenter of the Israel people. And so not only Jesus, but all most Jewish people, most God-fearing Jewish people, or at least Jewish people who are traditional, would be heading toward this way. And we've been seeing Jesus have lots of encounters along the way. And in chapter 21, he's now here, and he's actually at the temple. And he gets to the temple, and it's this beautiful building And he has some really interesting choice words to say about the temple. Several years ago, I was on a trip in Dallas, speaking of those rich Bible Belt people. And uh, I was was visiting a friend of mine who is now a, a men's ministry pastor at that church. And this is a, like, if there's ever a church you could apply the word mega church to, this is it. It's huge, it's gigantic, and there's several campuses. We're at the main campus. So I was visiting a friend there, and I had some other friends with me, and as we're going through, like all of the, the guys I know that are with me are like, this is insane, this is ridiculous. This is awesome. Like they were just floored by how amazing this facility was. You guys, there's a roller coaster, no joke, there's a roller coaster going through the walls of their kids' ministry. I know what you guys are thinking right now. What are we doing with our money, right? Why don't we have that yet? I know you're looking around and like you're seeing like the shrine to the 70s boarding school out there when you walk in and you're seeing the ripped carpet here. And like I literally just got a text from Josh saying that the the water was leaking over in the old chapel where the youth are meeting right now. But if we could at least get that roller coaster going, that'd be pretty incredible, right? Like this place was insane. And everybody was just like gawking at it and going, this is so incredible. And I even had one friend at one point go, I want to be a part of this church. It seems like they're doing amazing things. Now, mind you, this was said before we actually met anybody of the church. We had just seen the building, right? And the idea is that because this thing is so amazing, because they've They've constructed such an incredible and beautiful building. It's huge. It's something to look at. It's a spectacle. It's beautiful. They must have spent a lot of money. Therefore, they must be doing something right. It was a testament to the glory of the people there who built it in a sense, right? And that's kind of what we find in Luke chapter 21 is that the Jewish people are doing the same thing with the temple. And Jesus is like, you guys, you guys know. In fact, he basically tells them all this is going to be burnt down. This is nothing. 
And so to lead up to that, we remember that just a couple weeks ago in Luke 19, Jesus, one of those encounters on his travel to Jerusalem, met a man named Zacchaeus. That was one of the last encounters on that travel that we're told about in the book of Luke. And after that, in Luke 19, Jesus now starts entering into the city of Jerusalem. And as he's entering in on the colt of a donkey, as he's going in, there are people cheering. So there's three different reactions going on. There's the crowds cheering. This is the Messiah. This means this is the king who's coming in to rescue us from the Roman Empire. He's going to set us free. The kingdom of Israel will be once again reestablished. And it will last forever. This is the prophecy we've been told of. This is the promise that we have. And so people are cheering. Except for the religious leaders, the Pharisees are looking on this and they're angry and they're going, do you hear the way that they're praising you? You're just a man from Bethlehem, nonetheless. Like, tell them to stop. So there's two different reactions right there. And then the third reaction is Jesus's. And Jesus, in the midst of the cheers and the anger, is weeping. Jesus is crying over the city of Jerusalem. He could see it over the hill as he's coming. And he's crying over it. And he's saying, if only you knew the way to peace. If only you knew the one who was bringing you peace right now. But you're about to reject me. And he's weeping over Israel. And then he goes in. At the end of 19, he has this interesting interaction in the temple. He goes in and he sees people are in there selling stuff. They're trying to make a profit. You need to sacrifice animals to make yourself right before God. And so we have the best animals. God's only going to accept sacrifices like these. And they would charge an arm and a leg for those animals. And then you'd come in and you're poor. You have almost nothing. But you need to be right with God. And so they're being taken advantage of. And Jesus goes in, cracking a whip, turning over tables, and just basically like calling people out. It's crazy. And so all of chapter 20 is basically all the religious leaders going up to him going, who do you think you are? Right? Jesus makes a grand entrance and he causes a scene. And so chapter 20 is person after person, a Pharisee, a scribe, a Sadducee, the religious leaders coming up and saying, who do you think you are? Testing him. Let's see how he answers this question. Make him prove himself, right? And Jesus gives a couple tests back to them to show them they don't know as much as they think they know. So that's all of chapter 20. And then we get to chapter 21. And Jesus looks up and he sees in the temple now, all this is taking place in the temple, he sees a poor woman going and giving the last of what she has into the offering. Now, there's lots of sermons that we could have on this poor widow who goes and gives the last two coins that she owns into the offering about what it means to be a good, cheerful giver, right? But I don't think that's necessarily the main point of Luke in writing this here. Because Jesus is having all these interactions with these religious leaders and calling them brood of vipers. He's got some harsh language for them because they're taking advantage of people in the temple, and then what we're going to read in chapter 21 is about the destruction of this temple. And in the middle, like, do you think Jesus is like, hey, all this is going to burn down, but make sure you get your last bit of tithe in there so that we can finish this building project, right? Like, probably not. What he's showing is this 
poor widow is also being taken advantage of by the system the religious leaders have created. That if you want to be right with God, you better come and give all that you have. And guess where that giving went to, right? And Jesus is looking up and he's seeing this and he goes, you know what? That's on you guys. But this woman, she will be blessed and justified before God for that. And immediately after, we see what happens and takes place regarding the temple itself. So in verse 5, chapter 21, I won't make you stand because this is a long section, but um, the really committed people will. No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke on how the, the religious leaders were doing that to people in that day. Never mind. Sorry. Okay. Chapter 21, verse 5. We're going to read through verse 28. And while some were speaking of the temple... Picture my friends going through, look how amazing this place is. Look how beautiful. While some were still speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, he is Jesus, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will be not left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. This is God's word. Father, we pray that you would open up our minds, our ears, our hearts to receive your word.
<clears throat> there's a lot going on in this text this morning. We pray for wisdom and understanding, but most importantly, as we said, we pray that our hearts would be transformed by you and by your redemption. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You guys, I really wish I was preaching on the widow and her two coins right now. It'd be so much easier. Okay, there's a lot going on. Let's take a look here. Can we get, yeah, thank you so much. You guys are already on it. So let's try to get a little timeline of Jesus' prophecy going on here, okay? So this is a, a very popular text where people have tried to figure out the end times, the end of days coming, and Jesus is talking about like some crazy things happening with famines and earthquakes and wars and the sky turning black, and, and then Jesus will come on the clouds, and like that's historically what a lot of people think. And so let's take a look. This is maybe the clearest timeline we're given on this when Jesus is talking about what's going to happen. And so we have Jesus. He's come. That's a cross. Is it showing up? Hold on. I may need the whiteboard. Can you go out of that screen and then back in? And let's see. We tested this beforehand. It worked. And Aaron said, it's going to work until you need it to work. So thanks for that prophecy, Aaron. Oh, there we go. All right. So Jesus is coming. We know what's going to happen in the city. Thanks anyway, Bethany is that he is going to go to his death on the cross, right? And he's talking about all the stuff that's going to occur. This is our timeline. And so Jesus says, they're like, hey, when is this temple going to be destroyed? Like, that's their question. And he starts answering them. And he says, see that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, that's a weird word, but... Rebellions, okay? Rebellions, insurrections. Do not be terrified. These things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. So the end's going to be over here. It's not coming right away, he's saying, okay? There's some other things that are going to happen first. I might do better with my finger on that. There we go. So there are going to be false prophets coming, though. People saying that they are the Messiah. And Jesus is saying, don't follow after them. And so... That's happening here. We got false teachers. They're trying to get people to come and follow them and to lead them into revolts, lead them into wars, revolution against the Roman Empire who has occupied their space, right? Who has taken them captive. He says, but the end's not coming right away. That's not it. So hold on, right? And then he says, the end will not be... At once, verse 10, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, all right, so again, we're getting a little bit of a timeline there. So, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and they will persecute you. He's speaking specifically to the people he's with right now. Okay, they asked him, when's this going to happen? He's going, 
you will be persecuted. They will lay hands on you, deliver you up to synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be an opportunity to bear witness. And so you will be imprisoned, right? Hopefully you can read my chicken scratch there, but we're getting an idea of the timeline here. And then at some point, there's going to be after that nation against nation, earthquakes, famines, pestilences. Let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a time throughout human history where those things have not taken place? Earthquakes, wars, famines. This is really hard to pinpoint, right, on our timeline. So at some point, these things are happening, probably all throughout the timeline. Uh, And so he's telling you, but first you're going to be persecuted, gives you a chance to witness. I will give you the words to speak, right? And this is interesting. He says, you will be delivered up by even your own family and your friends, and they will put you to death, verse 16. And right after he says they will put you to death, verse 17, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, verse 18, but not a hair of your head will perish. You will be put to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. And so he's right away giving them this hope. There's going to be a lot of stuff going down. It's going to be hard. Some of you are even going to be murdered. That's not the end still. Okay? The end on that timeline has not come yet. You will not perish if you endure for the sake of my name, he says. So there's something even after that death. But when you see Jerusalem, verse 20, surrounded by armies, okay, so we're now being told after their persecution, really as the culmination of it, there will be armies surrounding Jerusalem and its desolation will happen. Jerusalem will be sieged, it'll be attacked, it'll be taken down. In 70 AD, the year 70 AD. What does AD stand for, by the way? What was that? Yeah, don't see. Don't whisper it. Be confident you had it. Anno Domini. Or a lot of us have grown up saying, like, after death. Like, there's BC, before Christ, AD, after death. But really, it's the Latin phrase, Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. Okay? So God's people have been waiting for the day of the Lord, which would take place in the year of the Lord. And the day of the Lord coming would be God coming and rescuing the Israelite people out of slavery and out of captivity from any of their enemies, doing away with their enemies, setting them free, and making them his people and his kingdom, which would last forever. Somebody at some point decided that Jesus' death was the day of the Lord. The year of the Lord took place when Jesus came as the king, as the Messiah, and instead of overthrowing the Roman Empire, gave his life up. Not to rescue his people from Rome, but to rescue his people from something much, much more severe something that had gripped every single human being's life. And he was setting them free and bringing them out of that kingdom of darkness into a true and better kingdom. So the year of the Lord has come, according to that, right? And in 70 AD, 70 years later, 
let me back up, 66 AD, the Jerusalem people had had enough with Rome. And they decided, we are going to fight back. And they actually took the city of Jerusalem back. And so they had pushed out all the Roman guards, all the Roman officials, and they took control over Jerusalem in the year 66. They had control again. And this was led up by a revolution of other people coming and saying that they were the Messiah, the king, who had come to reestablish the kingdom of Israel. We see that on our timeline, don't we? And then the year 70 AD, Rome comes back in with full force and they completely lay waste to the Israelites. And they destroy the temple in 70 AD. No stone was left on top of another stone. Sound familiar? Burnt to the ground, it was gone. And there was some terrible, wicked stuff that happened. First, what they did is they actually drew in more Israelite people into the city and then they shut them in. They locked them in the city and they locked them in there without food and access to water. There was a famine in there. And it got so bad, there are stories of people eating their own children to survive. Jesus says, woe to you who are nursing and pregnant. It got so terrible that that's what they resorted to. And then finally they came in and they laid waste to the city, to the temple. They came in and they set up their own statues of their own gods. And actually the, the person in charge of that time, the Roman official in charge of that siege, actually has a comment. He says something to the effect of, God granted us a swift victory. And it's interesting because Jesus says, in the other account of this in Matthew 24, that for you, fortunately, this will not last forever. God will make it swift. And because of that, there were those who were able to flee to the mountains. There were those who were able to escape. There were those who were able to run away. As Jesus says, you'll be running to the mountains from Judea. So we see a lot of this taking place just 70 short years after the cross. So I, I want us to see that timeline because a lot of times we hear these words and we take them, we pluck them out of a first century Jewish account, right? Pluck it out of that culture, pluck it out of their understanding and we put it into our 2019 Western understanding. And we go, all right, the, the end of the world is gonna come someday where the sky is going to turn black and like there's going to be earthquakes. We just had some earthquakes in California. Is that it? Is the end coming? Right? And every time we hear of a war, we're like, is this it? You guys, those things have always happened throughout history. It's nothing new. Jesus is speaking to a very particular audience. And he had never really had a habit during his time on earth of telling them about something that would happen when they weren't even alive. But he was constantly speaking directly to them. And so this is what happens in those years. And then we have, after that, all kinds of crazy stuff happening still that were happening then. Earthquakes, famines, disease, basically the effects of the rebellion, right? Not, not Israel's rebellion against Egypt, humanity's rebellion against the true king. 
the world breaking down and decaying, relationships falling apart, our bodies giving out and succumbing to death. This is the thing that Jesus came to rescue us out of. This is the kingdom that Jesus has come to claim victory over and dominion over and to reestablish the true kingdom of God that would last forever. And you go, but what about this weird thing when Jesus starts talking about like the sky, verse uh, 25. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear, all this weird stuff going on, right? So again, remember two things. First, remember we are Westerners in 2019 when we hear sun, moon, stars, we look up in the sky and we picture the actual physical sun, moon, stars, astrology, science, right? Jewish hearers of this time would hear sun, moon, stars, and they would think of heavenly celestial beings. They would think of spiritual beings. And I think what Jesus is giving them a picture of is, look, things are falling apart on heaven, or I'm sorry, on earth, and even in heaven because of the brokenness and the sin in this world, but I am going to renew both. That's the picture we get. It's the picture we get all throughout Jesus' words, and even in Revelation, is that he is renewing heaven and earth, both. The celestial and the terrestrial. Jesus is king over all of it. But even if that's maybe too wild for us to, and as I said, I, I could be wrong about these things. That's really not the point. So even if he is talking about the literal sun, moon, stars, what happened on the day that Jesus died? It says it was a sixth hour. Yeah, the sun failed. Darkness over the whole earth from the sixth hour to about the ninth hour. That's like prime sun real estate time gave out. What happened in the temple? Remember there was something in there? The veil, the curtain that separated people from entering into the holy of holies, God's presence was torn. Almost sounds like an earthquake, right? Like there's something that shook there and ripped that thing down. All kinds of crazy stuff happened on that very day. That very day, Jesus was showing that the natural order of our world and the way that we've established things in our own little kingdom that we've built is going to fall. It's going to crumble. It has to, to make way for a true and better king. If you're a nation that says, I want that empire right there. You have to lay waste to the other empire in order to establish your kingdom. They don't coexist. This is God's kingdom. It's his world. And what we've done in our rebellion is we've said, no, 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 this is our crown. This is our throne. We, we get to be king for ourselves. We've been reading as a family lately through the book of Samuel together, and we're seeing that in Israel. God says, I'm your king. And they go, but God, we want a king like the other nations have a king. We want a human king. We want one that we can look to and see and other nations will see and, and it'll, he'll be so kingly that they'll be afraid of us. 
And God goes, that's me. I'm your king. Yeah, but God, we, we want. And so he gives it. And he gives them Saul, right? And king after king after king fails the people of Israel until they find themselves under oppression, just like they are at this point of the story with Rome. The kingdoms that we try to build up as people will have to fail. Do you guys probably know how many conversations we've all had during the time of election of people who are fearful, right? That this person or that person is gonna get in office and what are they gonna do to America? What are they gonna do to these United States? Listen, the kingdom of the United States is gonna have to crumble. Not one stone left on top of another to make way for the true king to come and to set up and establish his kingdom here on earth and in heaven and everywhere forever. And this is good news. This is good news. We need to see the son of man coming in his glory, riding on the cloud to establish his kingdom. That's what Jesus says. And you go, what does that mean, right? That's our next little weird little section there. Verse 25, when he's talking about the skies basically giving up. Verse 26, he says, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. To help us understand what Jesus means by this, I have a little help from the guys at the Bible Project. We're going to watch a video on the Son of Man right now. If you read the New Testament, you'll notice that the most common title people use to describe Jesus is the Christ, that is, the Messiah. But surprisingly, Jesus almost never used that word to describe himself. Instead, he called himself the Son of Man. The Son of Man. What does that mean? Well, the phrase comes from an important chapter in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel was an Israelite prisoner of war who was forced to live in the empire of Babylon and work for the prideful, violent king who destroyed his home. That sounds horrible. And while he was living and working in Babylon, Daniel had this crazy prophetic dream. You ready for it? I'm ready. He saw four beasts crawling out of a dark sea, hybrid monster-like animals, each scarier than the one before. And the fourth beast is so mutant, there's nothing to compare it to. And it's violent, leaving death and destruction in its wake. What in the world is this about? Well, he's told that these beasts symbolize violent, prideful kings and their empires. Oh, like the one Daniel's enslaved to. Yeah, and these creatures might seem random to you, but these images are developing an important biblical theme. How humans are these remarkable creatures capable of doing great good and horrible evil. How we can behave like animals. Right. Look at the first pages of the Bible. God creates the beasts of the field and humans together, all from the dust. But then the humans are set apart and given a royal task of being God's image. So humans are like the animals, but called to become much more. Yeah, they're to be God's representatives on earth, ruling on his behalf like kings and queens. But keep reading, and the humans are deceived by a beast who says that they could be more than just God's partners. Yeah, that they could rule the world on their own terms. 
which sounds good to them. But God knows this will be a disaster. And so he expels the humans to the realm of the beasts. The partnership is lost. But God makes a promise that one day a human will be born who won't give in to the beast. Rather, he'll overcome and strike the beast while being struck by it. Okay, so for the rest of the biblical story, we're waiting for that human. But instead, in story after story, we find people acting like beasts. Yeah, like in the next story about Cain, who's jealous and angry at his brother Abel. God warns Cain that he's facing a beastly urge called sin, a dark, mysterious kind of evil that consumes humans. But God says that Cain can rule the beast if he chooses. But he doesn't rule the beast. He lets this urge devour him, and he becomes a beast. And then after this, Cain's children spread their animal-like violence, and it leads to the founding of a whole civilization known for its beastly pride, the city of Babylon. Okay, Babylon. So fast forward, this is where Daniel is enslaved, having this bizarro dream. Exactly. Now, watch what happens next in Daniel's dream. He sees into God's throne room where a court is set up and God condemns the beast to destruction. That's great. And then Daniel sees that there's actually more than one divine throne. Oh, right, the throne that humanity left behind. Right, there hasn't been a human who's able to overcome the beast and rule alongside God until now. Daniel sees a figure called the Son of Man, which means a human. And he rides on a cloud up into God's presence and then sits down on the divine throne to rule the world. The partnership's renewed. Yes, and even more, all humanity worships and serves this Son of Man alongside God. Oh, worship? So this is no ordinary human. This is like a God human. Exactly. And so now you can see why Jesus of Nazareth, when he came onto the scene centuries later, chose this title, the Son of Man, for himself. He was claiming to be that truly human one on a mission to confront the beast. He was tempted to seize power on the beast's terms. But unlike every human before him, Jesus resisted the urge. And then he went about banishing the beast from people's lives. And he was teaching people how to rule the beast instead of being ruled by it. Okay, so how do you rule the beast? Well, Jesus did it by giving up his life. Wait, rule the beast by dying? Yes. When Jesus was on trial in a human courtroom and being condemned to death, he said, from this moment on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at God's right hand and coming on the clouds. But this is the moment he's about to die. Exactly. From one perspective, the cross looks like a beastly torture device, but Jesus viewed it as his throne. And on this throne, he exposed the subhuman nature of our evil by letting it do its worst, and then he overcame it with his divine life and love. Jesus' execution was his exaltation. So Jesus is the first human to overcome the beast, and as a result, he can partner with God to rule the world. And so now, Jesus is summoning a new humanity into existence, one that can overcome the beast in the same paradoxical way. To rule the beast by dying. And then by discovering that Jesus' life and power can become our life and power. So we can rule the world as God's partners, but Jesus-style, in the power of service, humility, and self-giving love. Make sense? Got it? We're going to be going through the book of Daniel uh, this next year, which I'm super excited about. And we'll look at that more in depth. But Jesus is very, very, very clearly taking the words from Daniel chapter 7 
and he's imposing them on himself. And he's saying, I am that son of man. I am the one who's truly human. I am the one who can sit on the throne and rule justly with God. I am establishing my kingdom. And what we see in Daniel 7 is actually that that direction of the coming on the clouds is not like this elevator ride down on the clouds out of heaven, but it's him ascending up to his throne to meet with the ancient of days. I think I have Daniel 7 up there, if we can pull that up. This is his dream. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages, remember this is Jesus saying nations rising against nation. This is what is going to be reestablished as better. All peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Later in Luke, we're gonna see that Jesus after he is risen from the grave, he ascends to be with the Father, the Ancient of Days, and he is taken up in a cloud. The Son of Man, riding, coming in the clouds to take his throne. But he says, I am going to prepare a place for you. The king is getting the kingdom ready, and he will be bringing it back. And we're told... Actually, those men who were standing there and saw that happen were told by a messenger of God, in the same way he came, he will come back. In the same way he went, he will return. And so he will once again come on the cloud to bring his kingdom and establish it here on this earth. That's the hope and the good news that we have. And now, that's a lot of stuff going on, right? But what does that mean for you right here and now? So maybe I understand a little bit more of what the Son of Man means. Maybe I understand a little bit more about what happened to the Jerusalem temple in 70 AD. Big deal, right? Here's, here's the question for us today. And this is the question that I have been wrestling with myself all week. What are the kingdoms that you are trying to build up and establish that need to crumble to make way for the true king to sit on the throne? For the Israelites, it was the system that they had set up, which they thought, by the way, was a way for them to serve God. And it ended up becoming very beastly and oppressing other people. And they thought that they were pleasing Jesus to look at, like, look how beautiful this temple is. He's like, no, 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 look at how that widow's being devoured, right? What are the things we have going on in our lives that we are trying so hard to build up and firm and make stand strong and we think it's gonna satisfy us and maybe even we think it's pleasing God that is actually overshadowing the true king? What is that thing for you? We're gonna go to the table in a moment and we're going to remember, as Jesus calls us to remember, do this in remembrance. And we're going to remember how the beast of sin swallowed up our king. And as we go to the table, I want you to lay down whatever it is that you've been trying to build up in your own strength for your own glory. Take the bread. Remember the king sacrificed his body for you. Dip it in the cup. 
remember his blood was spilled because of our sin devouring. Take it, eat it, remember. But then remind yourselves of the good news that he did not stay swallowed up by that beast. As that video said, I love that, that his execution became his exaltation. That Jesus did ascend and rose on the clouds. And he is coming back in the same way. And he will establish his kingdom. And this is what he ends that with. Remember, all these crazy, terrible things are going to happen. Wars, famines, terrible stuff. People will be scared. People fainting with fear. But he says, when, when these things begin to take place for you, to straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Don't be afraid to lay down your kingdom.